0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello and welcome to New Books and Folklore, a podcast channel on New Books Network. My name is Nancy Ann, and I'm one of the hosts of this channel. Today we have Dr. Jean Swallow, author of Yo Mama, Mary Math, Boudreaux, and Thibodeau, Louisiana Children's Folklore and Play, which is a study resulting from Dr. Swallow's 44 years of collecting children's folklore in southern Louisiana. The book has won the 2018 Chicago Folklore Prize for Excellence in Folklore Scholarship and the 2018 Opie Prize for the Best Published Scholarly Book on Children's Folklore. Dr. Swallow was born in New Orleans and has been an educator for 47 years and taught public school and university classes in Louisiana the retired she continues to collect and study children's folklore. John, I'm so glad to have you here. Welcome. How Thank are you doing? You.
0: Glad to be here.
1: So, oh, we're doing okay
0: down here. Good. <laughs> and the weather getting hot there, right? Uh we're approaching storm time, so of course everybody's nervous. I see. Well, I'm sure <laughs> I'm
1: sure it will be a little bit more relaxed this year. So um, you've I been observing, so. you've been observing and collecting children's folklore in southern Louisiana for over five decades by now, and your book in itself encompasses 44 years. When you first started collecting children's folklore, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do with all this material? Um, what was what was it about
0: children's folklore that really intrigued you? When I first began, I was actually collecting French folklore. Uh, My grandmother spoke French. but In fact, both of my grandmothers spoke French, and they used proverbs to teach us. And that was my first collection and my first production. Then I realized something. I was teaching in the Orleans Parish School System at that time. And I could hear children playing games on the playground. Mm -hmm. And I wondered, who is collecting this wonderful stuff? I, I hear it. It's exciting. They're doing hand claps and jump rope games. And they're teasing each other with very interesting teases and taunts. And I began writing them down in the late 60s in a notebook. And then... I joined the Louisiana Folklore Society while I was still being a student at University of New Orleans. And at that point, my mentor, who was in charge of my uh, interest in folklore, kind of guided me to areas that other people had not touched, and children's folklore was one. Mm, okay. And so... When you um, uh,
1: when you started collecting these, so uh, was you just started uh, writing them down, you know, kind of like, or or were you formally collecting them when you first started collecting children's folklore?
0: What happened was I moved from New Orleans to Baton Rouge, where I taught at Louisiana State University for two years. I was an English as a second language teacher. And a wonderful woman named Mrs. Howard Samuel put out a bulletin asking for people to volunteer to collect folklore for the Bicentennial Project. I contacted her, and we talked about all kinds of different ways to collect folklore, and I suggested children's folklore. And she was a little hesitant at first, but then she gave me my first tape recorder. She handed me a big old handful of tapes, and she said, go for it. And it was at that point in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, that I became, began recording children's folklore on tapes.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow, that's pretty. Uh, so going all the way back into the 70s, that's when you started recording children's folklore. It's pretty fascinating. Yes. Yes. So in your book, in the first chapter, you have a chapter called um, uh, Boy's Verbal Play. And so in that chapter, you first talk about the dozens, which is an African-American form of insult banter. And you describe a session in your, uh, you describe a session in that, in that chapter. First of all, can you tell, um, can you tell me more about the dozens um, and share some examples that you've collected um, from, you know, from your years of research.
0: Is it okay to give both clean and dirty dozens? Yes. Yeah, it's fine. And <laughs> <laughs> tell us okay. what clean and
1: dirty dozens uh, are.
0: <laughs> all right. I was unfamiliar with dozens until I began collecting and I would tell the kids, tell me a joke and they would come out with something. Um, I'll give you some examples. And then I started doing research when I heard them say what they said. I thought, I'd better find out what the history of this is. And I went to Roger Abrams and William Labov and a couple of other people, John Dollard, who were all collectors of teenage African American lore. And I learned what the dozens were. They are an. Insult ritual and they're patterned mm-hmm. so that you start out by saying something like, Well, I have some, so shall I read them? Sure, I'd love to hear okay. some. So, when they first started out, they gave me some clean dozens, and clean dozens go like this uh, Your teeth so yellow, when you went outside, the sun said, Hello, mama. <laughs> Okay. Your teeth so yellow, when you look at the sun, the sun says, hey, Martway. <laughs> when your your teeth so yellow, the sun say, I'm on vacation. <laughs> so those are clean. Okay. and then say, Okay, go ahead. Well, then it turns to your mama. Well, mm-hmm. that, that changes things. The dirty dozens are often aimed at One's mother, and are often the target of sexual jokes. Mm. And uh, the boys I interviewed started out with some mild ones. Yo, mama's so fat. Every time she turn around, it's her birthday. Okay. And those those are clean. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, they get <laughs> they, they go from there. <laughs>
1: Okay, so did you want to read a dirty dozen or no?
0: All right. Interestingly enough, one of the dirty dozens I got was from a girl, uh-huh. not a boy. Okay. And she said, uh, "Spot your mama in the wagon." She say, "Hold there, my titty's dragging." <laughs> okay. S- then she said, "Spot your mama in the alley." stuffing her booty with potato salad. Okay. (laughs) And others begin with, and these were from boys, in the third grade, fuck your mama in the railroad tracks, baby jump out doing the ball and the jack.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm.
0: So the the method is you tell one of these things and the people in the group then try to one-up you by coming back really fast with the next couple of lines. Mm-hmm. And that's how it works. It goes back and forth, back and forth. And the boys, you know, punch each other and slap each other in the head while they're saying these things. They've, they stand very close together. Mm-hmm. And this ritual goes very quickly. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to laugh. You You can't be insulted by anything that is said
1: okay that was that was something I was interested in asking more about so um is there a a line you know that people don't cross because you know I guess the clean is like more acceptable they're more you know the more innocent kind of jokes, and the dirty dozens are more aimed at you know your mother or um you know address you know or use um uh swear words or you know talk about sex um and you're not supposed to be insulted, but is there ever a line
0: that gets crossed? I don't think so. I, I think the the worse it is, the better it is. Actually, if you can really come up with something vile, it's funny. I see. Okay, so you, you you try to push it.
1: Yeah, I see. So it's all understood that it's it's in a joking like framework, but what really counts is like wit. Yes,
0: exactly.
1: And um, you mentioned um, in your, in your book that there is this element and, you know, just now there's this element of performance, of performance, like, and there, and there's a, um, there's a framework or there's a, 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 there's a way that you're supposed to do it. What's a way not to do it? What's a way where you're going to be booed out of the crowd?
0: Oh, you get booted out of the club if you don't come up with something fast enough. Mm-hmm. Uh in the recordings that I made when the boys would be speaking quickly and then one of the group would hesitate. He couldn't quite come up with the line fast enough. Mm-hmm. He was the one who got the, the eye, you know, the, the, the side eye head. cut to him. Yeah. Or he was the one who wasn't listened to anymore. That's probably me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um okay
1: and so this is this, um so you uh, this is not primarily something you mentioned in the your boys verbal play chapter but um girls also do um do the dozens as well right um, Yes they
0: do and that struck me as since okay when i did my early research on the dozens it was all among teenage Boys, that it had been recorded, mm-hmm. but in my recordings, I have a number of girls who were able to just carry on just as quickly as the boys, mm-hmm. and then I saw teenage boys who were white using lines from the dozens, which they would scream from the school bus, uh, you know, to shock people when they were driving by, just just to do it. You know, they were not participating in any kind of a ritual they were just using the insult lines for shock mm. and this was and, predominantly white boys and that was not well received i don't know people were driving by in the car <laughs> okay oh, well,
1: i'm just wondering how context if you yell out these lines are they you know taking it as an insult because you're not like in a in in us in a in a joke telling session or uh, a dozen session
0: it would seem to me that the white boys who were yelling from the school bus meant it as an insult. (laughs) Okay.
1: As a, as a real insult and not as a, as a joke. Okay. Right. So you also have a chapter on girls verbal play and you say, you know, as I I mentioned, you say that girls also play dozens, but they also play um, ring games and jump rope, which is, I guess, something that boys um, don't do. Um, And they, also talk about the same subjects that boys talk about in their verbal play, but it's also a way for girls to learn about the expectations of womanhood. So what what in, in the book you write quote, uh, what girls learn from their elders, friends, and older sisters can possibly de- uh, be described by presenting a few of their games because as Gum noted in 1898, if children saw a custom periodically and often practiced with some degree of ceremonial importance, they would, in their own way, act and play what their elders do seriously. And Gum, that you mentioned in that uh, quote, she was a British folklorist uh, who pioneered the study of children's folklore in the late 19th and twentieth and early 20th centuries. Um, so I'm curious, from your research, how did this kind of learning happen with the games that you witnessed from girls playing throughout your research?
0: Well, let's see. Uh, Girls play jump rope Mm -hmm. and hand claps Mm -hmm. and ring games and incorporated into the words of these games. There are certain images of what a girl should be Mm -hmm. and what the expectations of women are. Mm -hmm. And I found that there was a combination of, as, as the girls played it, an acceptance in some ways mm-hmm. of the expectations and yet a satirical, ironic commentary on those same expectations. And I can give you just one example to to give you an idea of how say white children and black children had differing views. Would you like me to give you an example? Yes, I'd love to hear it. There is a really old jump rope rhyme. I collected it from my mother, Mm -hmm. and her friends knew it as well. My mom played it in the 1920s, and I think anybody listening to this would recognize it. It's a jump rope that goes, I like coffee, I like tea, I like the boys, and the boys like me. That encapsulates an expectation. Girls are expected to like boys. Boys Mm -hmm. are expected to like girls. And, you know, pretty much that's the way it is. But in New Orleans, I also got an example of I like coffee, I like tea, which was extended. And it became, well, here it is. I like coffee. I like tea. I like the colored boy, and he likes me, so stop that white boy. Me don't shine. I'm going to give that boy a kick in the behind. Last night, the night before, I met my boyfriend at the candy store. He bought me ice cream. He bought me tea. He brought me home, and he tried my gait. I said, Mama, Mama, I feel sick. Call the doctor. Quick, quick, quick. Doctor, doctor, will I die? Close your eyes and count to five. One, two, three, four, five. See that house on top of the hill? That's where me and my boyfriend live. Cook that chicken, eat that rice. Come on, baby, let's shoot some dice. Hmm. So as I say in my book, What had been a simple four-line jump rope jingle for the white children became, for this group of fifth and sixth graders, a hand clap event featuring a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm -hmm. The most important change is the shift in attitude. This game is no fairy tale and has no fairy tale ending like the white version things are not so simple as I like the boys and the boys like me. Cast in the form of a lengthened cautionary poem, the game reflects an appreciation for the real world, where if the boys like me, there are consequences.
1: Interesting. So uh, the girls would, it seems like maybe the girls, uh, um yeah it, it does seem to reflect um um what like uh, you know real life consequences or real life events in a way that um you know from what I understand boys verbal play really doesn't do i mean whether uh whether any similarities or something similar that happened with boys verbal play
0: well with boys vocal play, a lot of it is around saying dirty words. Mm-hmm. Um, challenging one another as to how much sex knowledge they have mm-hmm. um there's there's just a lot of physical activity with boy play too, even when they're talking to one another, they're bopping one another in the head or jabbing each other with their finger. whereas with girls, it just seems like it's more of a collective voice mm-hmm. when the girls play.
1: Hmm. And you also say that these kinds of things also serve as, um, I guess, a a, a teaching uh, mechanism where older kids kind of teach young kids, right?
0: Absolutely. Oh, yes. The playground is a learning center, and it it functions in several ways. The Lore of children begins to be passed on at about three, I discovered, Mm -hmm. when I went to nursery schools. And these little bitty tiny people already knew hand claps and they were out there just chanting away. Um, Then it proceeds on through jump rope games, hand claps, ring games, teases and taunts all the way through the about the eighth grade when most girls not necessarily boys that's a different situation but when most girls stop playing hand claps jump rope and other ring games at that point right around the 8th grade it seems i could be wrong but it seems to me that at about the 8th grade girls become more interested in makeup and boy and uh, boys is boyfriends rather than contest people. Mm-hmm. And then they they're more interested in playing on their phone. They're more interested in getting on the computer and, and looking at YouTube. Uh so for many girls, not all, hand claps, jump rope and ring games just sort of dwindle away in middle school. And mm-hmm. then they, there are some things that continue which are folkloric, like cheering. Mm-hmm. Cheers are considered, in my book, folklore. So, people continue with cheers. They always tell jokes. They tell scary stories. Mm-hmm. They they tell legends like Slender Man and things like that that have uh, become popular. You know, Fortnite's going to appear at your door and do something to you. These right. things are really big, I find, with 12-year-olds. Um, so... If you're going to collect child lore, you more or less have to confine yourself to children of, say, three and four to 12.
1: hmm. OK. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. Um, I think when I was a kid, I played um, some of these games probably up to, um, yeah, nine or 10, maybe 11. So that sounds, uh, yeah, so just right off before, you know, I guess right before um, being a teenager. Um, I like to go back to um, ring games. Um, for those uh, for those uh, people who are not familiar with ring games, so it's it's kind of like a chant. Everybody stands in a circle and then there's a chant. And, some, and is it usually there's somebody in the middle, right, who kind of leads a chant? Or is it just the fact that you it, uh, stand in a circle and chant together?
0: It depends on the game. Okay. Uh for instance you can you can have like the little kids sing you know roundabout, roundabout, and then they just hold hands and go in a circle and then they all fall down
1: right uh right. nobody's in the middle, right okay,
0: but I did collect games where a central player stepped in mm-hmm. and demonstrated the actions and everybody imitated, and those were predominantly african American games. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
1: Okay. Um, One really interesting aspect that, you know, I discovered from reading your book is that you write that children's games are a mix of conservation and innovation. So, and I'm going. I'm going to quote you from your book. Um, You say, "Quote: Many children in southern Louisiana are among the conservators of particular traditional games, at the same time the inventors of varied and clever new ones." End quote. So, I want to talk about the first part, the conservation, and then later on we'll talk about the invention of of varied and clever new ones. I was really struck by the ring game that you observed among the black and white children um, and uh, who played this, and it had its roots in. Uh, 19 in 19th century English Ireland and Scotland, um, because I had participated in a similar ring game when I was a kid, um, and this is in the 70s, and I had no idea that this rhyme was like a hundred years old. So I'm I'm going to read I'm going to read out the uh, 1894 version that you had, and you know uh, I don't know if it sounds like it, it probably doesn't sound like how the kids uh, you know uh, chanted out um, in your research, but I'm just going to read it. So the 1894 version um which alice um, gum the uh, british folklorist um uh uh collected she said it goes like this sally sally slaughter sitting by the water crying out and weeping for a young man rise sally rise dry your eyes turn to the east turn to the west uh turn to the young man that you love best so now you've got married i hope you enjoy your sons and your daughters so kiss uh, so kiss and uh, so kiss and goodbye so and sorry for that terrible reading but i'm i'm really struck by that because i do remember a version of that um but i'll read the uh, the 1974 version that you collected which is little sally walker sitting in a saucer weeping and crying for a whole glass of water Rise, Sally, rise! Wipe your weeping eyes. Shake it to the east. Shake it to the west. Shake it to the one you love best. Mom, Mama says so. Papa says so. That's way you do it when you want to get a bow. So, in the nineteen seventy-four version, you know, they're um, they're they're in a ring, and then they're in, and there's a girl in the center. I guess. Uh, uh, or actually uh yeah and I guess the girls on the on the ring they Im- imitate like whatever action she makes um and i I recall something like this too like I, I definitely recall the turn to the east turn to the west turn to the young man that you love best um mm-hmm. and that the 1894 version 1974 version that you collected is also a little bit um different as well so um I'm just really I just I'm just thinking about How similar, you know, this has survived in um, over 100 years. And I'm wondering, um, why have they persisted on the playground for so long? And why haven't they become outdated? Um, They obviously changed a little bit. And my other question is, um, were they played in a similar way? Was that early rhyme also played as a ring game?
0: Were they play? What's that? The early, what was the last the, part you said the the
1: eight um, the eighteen ninety four version um, that Alice Gum collected mm-hmm. was that also played as a ring mm-hmm. game or was that just like a playground rhyme?
0: That's interesting. Um, I don't know if I made it clear. Let me think. I don't remember. I okay. I'd have to look up Gum right now to decide whether she was putting it in her section on ring games or whether she put it in her section on line games, but I think it was a ring game. And the idea that something can persist for over a hundred years is not unusual at all in children's play. Uh, There Mm -hmm. are a number of games that were recorded by Mrs. Gum that are still played today with slight variations, just like you saw there. For example, the line, shake it to the east, shake it to the west, shake it to the one that you love the best, is Mm. the same idea as turn to the east, turn to the west, but it's been modernized. Mm -hmm. And I found this in a number of the games that came from 1894 and 1898 that Gum had collected, still played, but with variants that make them modernized mm-hmm. and I, in fact i'm writing about that right now
1: <laughs> I, I i would love to read that at some point um yeah i you know uh i would imagine that the uh the game itself was um would be different you know i uh you know the the actions that you do because I do remember shaking to the, shaking it to the west, shaking it to the east, and shaking it to the west, <laughs> and where you thrust out your hips. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I was about uh, probably like eight, I think. And so um, reading this book really brought really brought some memories. I could only remember one or two rhymes, but the ones that I mean, I'm sure if I read you know more your whole catalog, some more would come into mind. But that was the one that. Um, really came to mind. And this, this is a kind of a question and I, and another question. So another one that um, really came to mind was um, uh, the one about Sally died. Um, and it's, it, it's kind of, it's a little bit like a call and response ring game. Sally died, how she died. She died like this. And then the leader strikes a death pose um, or some kind of pose. But when we were a kid, we were trying to be like sexy, you know little kids, I guess even even back then, mm-hmm. or somehow attractive to to boys or something, and um mm-hmm. I'm wondering what's who's Sally? because you know sh- there's so many variations <laughs> about Sally
0: excellent question, really. There's no rhyme or reason for the names to be s- chosen as far as I can tell. Someone may have come up with. A reason for the name Sally. Um, it just seems to be uh, like Susie. Mm-hmm. You know, Susie had a baby, uh, Sally had a baby. Uh, it's an easy word to say and it fits a lot of categories. So I just think that these names that are used are easy names. Uh, that's all I can say because okay. I, th- I couldn't put a finger on the historic reasons. Okay by okay. use.
1: Fair, fair enough. I just thought that maybe she had some historical um, significance. There was somebody, you know, named Sally and something happened to her and there was a rhyme about her and then suddenly it just kind of like, roll, you know, started rolling and, you know, created all these different rhymes.
0: Um, okay. the, the games are so widespread that um, it, it wouldn't fit. You see, if, if you could put your finger on one Sally why does Sally end up in New York, and why does Sally end up in Australia? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, no, Sally's just an easy word. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, also ends
1: up in Australia. So, uh, these rhymes are, you know, not just in America, but also in Australia.
0: They're everywhere that people speak English. Uh, <laughs> Brian Sutton Smith spoke about, uh, he did entire studies on kids in New Zealand who were saying the same games that Miss Scum had collected. Mm -hmm. And I, when I read his work, um, he, he, several of the games that I had collected were also collected in New Zealand. Uh, Some were collected in Canada. Uh, Some were collected in States as far distant as say, Washington state and Florida. So, children move around, and mm-hmm. when they do, they bring their lore with them, and they pass it on to the kids they're playing with on the playground, and there might be a change in name. Say, Sally becomes Susie in another version of the, of the game, but it's still the same game.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um you also state that many adults also think of children as innocent and ignorant of the realities of life from which they must be protected um but you also say that children are often quite aware of what's going on in the world and as we you know as you know we see, as we heard from you know the the dirty dozens that you um uh, uh examples that you gave us they also tell dirty jokes and stories and um it seems that children's play is also influenced or representative of the contemporary world as you, as you know in your book um you've seen you know the kung fu movies on uh, the playground in the 70s because of the popularity of bruce lee movies um kids break dancing in the 80s the reworking of michael jackson songs and chants that comment on his life um another idea that adults seem to have about children in this day and age is that they're becoming too worldly, much too early, and so, based on your body of research over the years, have you seen an increase of worldly sophistication um, you know young people can access so much more these days in the internet on the internet, so information and you know maybe adult content are much more readily available. but have you witnessed a change, or is this also a function of adults misremembering their own childhood?
0: Well, I think you. <clears throat> had a very good word there when you said adults misremember how much they knew when they were children. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow or other, I have I have a very vivid memory of my own childhood, and I was not uninformed or innocent in the sense that many adults want to. Uh, I want to call children right. Uh, I I understood what was happening around me. Maybe not the political ramifications of what I was hearing on the radio and the television, but Mm -hmm. I certainly knew who to stay away from and who to be friends with because of a variety of reasons. Um, We talked about what our parents did when we weren't around. Um, We questioned authority. Mm -hmm. Um, We were... A lot more aware, I think, than many adults think we are. And I think the reason is they don't Mm -hmm. listen to us. Mm -hmm. Adults tend to talk adult stuff with other adults, even with the kids in the room, Mm -hmm. and don't often realize the kids are listening to every word they say. And so children are not uninformed. Um, there are parents who purposely and intentionally attempt to keep their children, in their eyes, innocent. But if those kids play on a playground, they're going to hear what the other children are saying. Right. So, you know, they get, they get informed. Now, today, you asked if kids are more tuned into what? What they see on YouTube? Yes. Are kids more in-, in tuned to what they see on whatever they pick up when they're alone on the computer? Yes. There is more out there to influence kids today than I think there was when I was on the playground. Mm-hmm. Because we had a certain limited um, amount of information that we could pass on. Whereas mm-hmm. if you get on the computer, there's all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that's there, and the and the boys and the girls say, "Hey, you know, get this, you know, and then they tell them what to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there is a chance that there's more uh information for kids today than there was when they were younger. Does it stop them from playing? No, mm-hmm. uh there has been the false idea for quite a long time that children do not play anymore. That is not true. Their play may have changed. They might be sending pictures of each other on the phone to one another, Mm -hmm. or they might be taking pictures of something and sending the picture that they took or or sharing a meme, but they're still playing. Mm -hmm. Children play. Yeah, I think that... um
1: you know, I think, I wonder if um, adults think that in this day and age, children are losing their innocence um, because they're not playing the way they played when they were kids. And I mean, certainly, you know, when I was young, when I was younger, there was limited amount of information, like, you know, there was this TV, right? And limited number of channels. And today, there's just a lot more information that uh, kids can draw from and many more ways in which they can play too. So um, I think that, you know, when I was, I'm trying to remember when I played, um, you know, what kinds of things I played on uh, as a kid, you know, there, yeah, there are the jump rope rhymes, um, running around on the playgrounds, uh, board games, but nowadays they, um, they play differently. But, you know, People lament that children are uh, that children play but they are too immersed in video games and electronic forms of communications or on the smartphone all the time um, Do you think that they uh, and uh, do you think that they do you think it's the element of um, creativity that they think counts as um, as a play and uh, these video games may not you know, may not kind of stimulate their creativity?
0: Hmm. That's a really, really good question. And it is almost unanswerable at the moment. I look back on my childhood and I probably had a childhood very much like yours. I was very free. I got (laughs) out in the yard in the morning, rode a bicycle around the neighborhood, was outside a great deal, intermingling with other children. Uh, I have noticed in the last years that I taught and in watching my youngest grandchildren, that playtime is much more restricted. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only kids who get to run around and, and, you know, carry on in the neighborhood are the kids whose parents probably act like my parents did. Y'all go play.
1: Hmm. You know, I think they my parents that,
0: said, "Y'all go play." <laughs> There's hmm? an
1: actual name for it today. Now they call it free-range parenting.
0: Okay, free, <laughs> I love it. Free-range parenting, like chickens. Uh huh. Yes. Like okay. they can run around yeah. and do whatever they want. <laughs> exactly, and we did that. We climbed trees. We we made up uh, little plays and put them on in the backyard. You know, we did all this stuff, which. Many of the children I'm looking at right now are confined to play dates. Uh, once they get to the play date, some of the parents actually organize the play. Um, I think that there has been a change, but I, at the same time, am aware that children are still passing on the play lore that I recorded. It's still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have so... kids in that miserable... Th- hmm no, go ahead. Please finish your thought. Oh, oh! there's only 15 minutes of playtime at school now, uh, in many schools. Whereas we used to have a half an hour of recess time. And man, we ran yeah. out on that playground and we jumped rope like mad and we came in all sweaty. And with a 15-minute play period, it's much less of a chance to intermingle. Mm-hmm. So yes, there are certain restrictions, but the lore is still being passed on. Yes. Mm.
1: Yeah. I think, it you know, I really liked what you wrote and you said that electronic age has simply added, not superimposed, a new play world for children. So, you know, in thinking about what I said about, you know, our kids still, um, or ask, our uh, kids just kind of, you know, just, you know, sitting, sitting down and playing a game on their smartphone, you know, whatever, whatever game uh, that they're playing right now. Um, but you say, but, you know, it's not, it's, like, children aren't just playing these games, but they're also using this electronic media um, to play, you know, past being in creative about like doing emojis, sending um, pictures, I'm assuming sending pictures of them. I don't know, making funny faces. I actually really don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just guessing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still, I guess there's still that, I mean, we just say that there's still that element of creativity, even within this electronic media, in addition to the ring games that they're still playing in the yard.
0: Yes, I agree. Uh, there are electronic games. There's, I don't know, Nintendo in the olden days, and now it's <laughs> much more advanced, uh, video yeah. games, but, uh, For example, just to give you an example, my youngest grandson is 11. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he and his friends did is they made puppets of some of the characters on one of their favorite uh, video games. Mm -hmm. And they would play with the puppets. They'd go out in the backyard and play with those ridiculous puppets and had a wonderful time. We used to do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so that is still alive. And the urge to to embroider, I suppose, is the word. The the urge to continue with a creative element, in spite of the restrictions of the electronic medium, Mm -hmm. is there. Kids Mm -hmm. will play, and Mm -hmm. they just are playing differently. They're playing (laughs) differently.
1: Mm -hmm. And you you mentioned that you know they were still playing these, you know, ring games from, you know, our childhoods, um, on the playground mm-hmm. since the last time you uh you said since the last time you observed in
0: when you were still teaching about when was that? When you last taught? I stopped teaching in twenty ten. I stopped teaching okay. in twenty ten, but I didn't stop collecting.
1: Okay. And so kids are still playing these ring games that you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that was that was a question I was kind of um Interested in um, asking you about so during this pandemic, you know, kids aren't really going to school, you know, in person. They don't have the opportunity to really kind of play in the yard. So how did how did that affect kids' play during the during the pandemic, or how did the pandemic affect kids' play, children's
0: play, children's folklore? I have not had a chance yet Mm -hmm. to assess anything like that because I was very much required to stay in the house right and i didn't have a chance to communicate much with my my base which Mm -hmm. would be small children who were also being confined into the house so i don't know okay i don't know what the pandemic did right right i guess we'll hear more later on as schools
1: open up about how how they played.
0: and i know that in the in the the one person that I had the observation of, that was my grandson, he played on the computer endlessly, and i I didn't like mm-hmm. that. You know I kept <laughs> handing him books and saying, "You've got to read this, you know, and he would read it, and then we would discuss it, but that's not play, right? You know right. that's education or the computer he was able to talk to his friends. Uh, you know, they would get on a, a game and, and he would talk to one friend and the friend would talk back to him. But again, that's not the interaction where you look at each other's eyes and you touch each other's shoulder and you run. Mm-hmm. These things didn't happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I I think that, uh, you know, I've taken up a lot of your time. It's been really interesting, but I feel like I um, there's one question I I forgot to ask you and I want to ask you um, Chinese jump rope mm-hmm. I didn't see Chinese jump rope in your uh, in your book and maybe have observed a lot of it because that was a bi- that was a big part of my childhood but you know what we didn't really do rhymes with that and I know it's different from you know jump rope or double Dutch um, did you observe mm-hmm. did, what what did you see um, about did you see yeah what did you what did you uh, observe about Chinese jump rope?
0: Okay. Very good question. It's very much part of book number two, which is coming out in October, and it's called What the Children Said. And in it, I have a whole section on how children refer to the Chinese Mm -hmm. and how often the word Chinese is used in their games to represent the exotic,
1: mm-hmm. the
0: unusual.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Chinese jump rope is discussed. Um, it, it's a, a like a circle of rubber bands, or in some cases, it's an actual jump rope that is supplied. But many of the kids that I saw play it had linked together what looked like headbands, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then they would jump in, jump out, jump on, jump in jump out jump on and both feet then and that was the way it was played
1: that's pretty was much was it played ex-
0: differently or?
1: yeah that's pretty much exactly how i remembered it <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't a chant to go okay. with it we just kind of like uh our, we just said out loud what we were doing <laughs> and uh that's right uh that's right
0: it, that's what they'd say jump in jump out jump on
1: yeah <laughs> um and uh I and I remember this is the only thing that made me cool, I think, in elementary school. Everybody had those um elastic like elastic band that uh they bought and I was really jealous of and I wanted one. My parents wouldn't get me one. So my sister, my older sister, who's about 17 year old older than I am, she taught me how to link rubber bands together. And so yes. after that yes. I had the coolest jump rope because mine was multicolored and it didn't hurt you know like some of the other ones may have been too like you know uh too small and we had uh mm-hmm. and ours uh ours didn't you know mine, did, mine was very easy this has been a really uh great conversation about um children's folklore um i loved reading your book loved reading your book it just brought back a, little me- a lot of memories and you just you know provided such insight into like these you know childhood memories of um of Uh, schoolyard games. And um, you mentioned a little bit more, but I think before we go, can I ask you what your next project is?
0: Okay. Uh, The first was to sort of collate everything that I had done into a book called What the Children Said, and Mm -hmm. that is coming out, University of Mississippi Press, October of this year, 2021. And my next project is to explore exactly something that you asked me about, the history of how these games are passed down. It's not easy to do because you can't always put your finger on how a game moved from, say, one location, Canada, to Australia, and then from Australia to Louisiana. But you can go to Other people who collected these games and say, okay, Gum collected it in 1894, and then it was collected again in England in 1959, and then it was collected again in 1920 or whatever, 1970, and then I collected it. Hmm. So I'm taking a couple of games and plotting... The changes in wording, the changes in attitude, and the changing is changes in mode of play for several games. And I'm putting together a series of essays
1: on mm-hmm. that That sounds fascinating as well, too. I'm so glad you're doing this research. well, I think you know I've taken a lot of your time already, but I appreciate you. Coming on to uh, the show and talking uh, to me about uh, talking to me about children's folklore. Um, this is Nancy Ann, and I've been speaking with Dr. Uh, Jean Swallow, author of Yo Mama, Mary Mack, Boudreaux, and Thibodeau: Louisiana Children's Folklore and Play. Thanks again, Jean.